Hello and welcome to the Travelling Through podcast. To those listening for the first time, I am your host, Emma, and each week I'm out and about chatting to Londoners and those who love, live and work in this big and glorious city. In this episode, I am chatting to Lisa Paderas. Lisa has worked in the publishing industry for many, many years, and we talk about how the publishing industry has changed, self-publishing, motherhood, and living in a multicultural world such as London. These are Lisa's thoughts on London, the world, and life. Well, hello, everybody. This is the Travelling Through podcast, and today my guest is Lisa Paderas. Hello, Lisa. Hello. <laughs> Lovely to be here. We are in near to Goode Street. Yes, we're just off Goode Street, um, and we're going to take a little walk down Russell Square and Conran Fields. Fantastic. And it's, we've got a beautiful day. I was so cold yesterday, I thought it was going to be as cold today, but luckily the sun is out. Yeah, so hopefully this Lunchtime. is the start of spring. Yes. Um, and hope and optimism, I think. <laughs> I know with so. the news, it's not that great. It has not been good. <laughs> yeah. no. So Legend Press is a, is a publishing house mm-hmm. and you publish books from all over the world or do you specify or um, yeah, hone in on Particular okay. areas. It tends to be UK orientated with um, handfuls from the US. Um, we do sell all over the world um, and you know we do try and get submissions but it's always it's always hard with the translations yeah so we do get books from France and Germany but you need to be able to then translate those books and that is added cost Um, and it's the time because the translate takes between anywhere from four months to eight months yeah that was one of the hardest things I found with having a bookshop too was I wanted books from all around the world but mm. not all books were translated and then how, how do you reach or be able to bring more authors to an audience that is wanting to absorb books from all around the world, particularly now where the focus is on knowing more about other parts of the world. I mean it always has been obviously but, but now I think specifically with more people living multiculturally are people living in London as well. For sure. I mean, I think, you know, the trend at the moment is still quite going quite strong and it has been for a few years is, for example, Scandinavian crime. And we, we're, we're publishing a series um, at my workplace um, later this year. Yes. Um, and that's proven quite popular. You know, we've done some Polish books as well. Okay. Um, and that was brought in because it was turned into a HBO series. So, um, you know, there are, there are snippets of gold out there, yeah. but it's also how it would translate to the readership in our territory, so UK. Yeah, so yeah. would the UK readers be able to absorb and want to read those books? Okay. You know, um, a lot of uh, bookshops like Waterstones and Blackwells are quite um, adverse to risk-taking. Are they? Yes. 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 So, and also a lot of their shelves are filled with, the, you know, the big sellers. Yeah. So as an independent, we try and have a balance of trying to fill the popular fiction market because okay. you need to, yes. you know, obviously it's a business, you need to sustain that model as well as finding those nuggets of gold that, you know, you want to give people that voice. Yes, you it's know, a bit like right. my bookshop uh, yeah. model as well. Exactly. In fact, on cue, here we go past Waterstones on the corner of uh, Torrington Place with Gower, Gower Street. Gower Street, yes. yes. So this is a very popular bookshop for students. Is it? Yeah. So we've got UCL just around here, and we've got SOAS. Oh yes. Yes, yes. it's just there. Okay. So SOAS, for those who may not know, 
is the, the School, School of Asian and African Studies. Oriental? Yes, Oriental yeah, or Asian. Asian Studies, yeah. yes. And then we've got like the um, tropical diseases around the other side. Okay. <laughs> Which was very important in yeah, COVID. Absolutely, yes. <laughs> um, so yeah, there's quite a lot of um, universities around here. Yeah. So it's quite international. You get a lot of international students, which is fantastic. And then you get, on Thursdays, you get a food market just down at the bottom, past oh, okay. Waterstones, okay. where you get a whole host of lovely feasts. And from around the world, is it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, France, Germany, you've got the Israeli, mm -hmm. um, Indian. Okay. Well, and in Sowas, they have the, um, the Buddhist monks, I think, they come and give free food. Oh, do they? Oh, right. Yeah, and you just bring your Tupperware or plate. Yes, yeah, yeah. I can't remember which day that is, but... <laughs> <laughs> um, and that was before lockdown, so yeah, I don't know if that's still going on. So during the lockdown period, were you all working from home? Because you're a small team at Legend Yeah, House, yeah. There's only about seven or eight of us. Um, and yeah, we all ended up working at home. It was very difficult to get into, into London and yes. the risk, obviously. A lot of us work or live I should say outside of London so Essex I live in Kent okay so yeah it's a bit Spread of a, a around. queue yeah yes. oh here we are the queue for a falafel always it was the same in Lower Marsh it was a falafel yeah. stall there they were always very very popular because they're usually quite generous with the food yes, you know like especially the salads yeah it's quite a tasty lunchtime yeah. meal as well isn't it for sure yeah so um yeah lockdown it was quite tricky I would say um, work-wise, especially because I, I cover sales. Yes. Um, and yeah, there was a big impact. Okay. I think for all publishers, anyone in retail, to be honest. Yes. Because you just didn't have the footfall. And for, for when you talk, when you say you're in sales, what does that actually mean in the publishing world? Yeah. So I cover. Well, my job in particular, I, I sort of manage the UK uh, side of things, um, and that's across. Um, bookstores, distributors. I also look after international sales, so export, and that's selling English language books into the international market. Okay. Or to, you know, to English-speaking sort of bookshops. Yes. Yes. Um, so yes, I mean that's so the reach dealing, I do. You're dealing with the finished product then. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So I, you know, it's a big job. And normally, in a big publisher, you would have a team of maybe three or four people to do this. And that's just on exports. Yeah. And then you'll have another three people doing UK sales. Okay. Um, oh, wow, Gordon Square. We can, we can walk down. Yes. This uh, is where the Bloomsbury Group used to come to. I've forgotten that. I have been in here once before. Oh, have you? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, that aside. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so I, because it's just me, I hire um, freelance reps okay. um, or companies that will help me get the distribution out into the wider area. So I have reps on the ground in the Middle East. Yes. Um, so I work with a company called IPR and they cover Cyprus, Turkey as well, and Malta as well as the Middle East. Okay. And then I've got a company in South Africa that does that and one in China. And then in the UK, I have a, a, a company called Compass that manages the whole of the different regions in the UK. Okay. So that's how we sort of manage to get our our titles across to the various territories. Sure. And because yeah. they, it is so worldwide, is the common language that you deal in English or do you mm -hmm. speak other languages? Oh no, I mean, unfortunately, I don't speak any other language. 
<laughs> I feel bread. so sad. I know, Are yeah. Are Oh yeah, I was born in Barnet in London. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, so that's in the... North London, North yeah. London, so yeah. the end of the Piccadilly line. Okay. Um, or sort of... It, the, where, where my parents live, it crosses over to sort of Southgate, Southgate Barnet area. Yeah. Um, so yeah, North London. My parents were immigrants, they came over. From where? From the Philippines. Oh, okay. Yeah, they're both from the Philippines. Yeah. Um, and I think they were so concerned of me fitting into the country yes. that they didn't want me to stick out or be left behind in terms of education. So they, so I do understand Tagalog, which is the language okay. of the Philippines. So I do understand it and I can speak broken yes. um, or childlike um, yeah. version of the language. Um, but yeah, I was, I was never fluently taught yes. to speak it and my brother's non, non, you know, it was non-existent. Really? Yeah. Do you, do you regret that now that you weren't taught it? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So my husband is half Indian, half Cypriot. So what we did is we got my mother-in-law to try and teach my daughter Greek. Oh wow. And so yes. during lockdown they would have Greek lessons, okay. you know, three times a week. Right. And is it um, working? Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's hard when you've got a nine-year-old, ten-year-old, yeah. as the time was progressing, to try and get her to sit and focus and do <laughs> lessons, especially with her grandma, yeah. because she would just end up, like, mucking about. <laughs> I mean, the whole language thing is so interesting, isn't it? Like, the, um, I hear the story time and time again uh, with first-generation immigrants. Mm desperate, or not desperate, but very concerned that their children won't fit in, so not yeah. to teach them their language, yeah. and, and how damaging that is for the language, if nothing else. Absolutely, and, and the heritage. Well, yeah, and you also know. for them being able to communicate with you easily mm. when their first language is... I mean, my parents used to joke and said, you know, it was easier than to keep secrets from us and to talk about us without us knowing. <laughs> so that was, you know, that, that, that was their secondary excuse. Yeah. <laughs> um, but because I knew I could understand, as long as I didn't speak too fast, yes. I could sort of understand what they were saying. So yes. I would have to, I would be the one eavesdropping behind the door, <laughs> trying to find out what they were shouting about, you know? Um, but Pass yeah. Pass on to your brothers. Exactly. <laughs> Not that they cared much. But <laughs> and how about the food? Did they bring you up on oh, yes. food? Absolutely. I mean, you know, I think in the eighties there was a lot of fads and I was saying to my you know, my daughter, I was like, You're very lucky with the amount of variety that you get exposed to because yeah. when I was younger there wasn't that much variety. It was Filipino food or stuff in cans. So yes. it, or instant food so you know chicken kiev and yeah you know smash <laughs> and angel delight yeah you know, all the processed you know colorful foods yes, <laughs> that have no nutritional value no, coming back to hold you know. us now with all the weird diseases we're exactly so you know i said in my day you know when we got taken out it was too wimpy and my daughter, when she, you know, during lockdown, it was it was hell for her because she was like, I miss sushi, I miss dim sum. And I'm like, you're 10 and this is your favourite food. <laughs> you know, how privileged are you? <laughs> but isn't that great, though, that, yeah. that, that they, their understanding of food and across the world and what you can eat rather than just Wimpy or McDonald's or whatever. Oh, gosh, is, she's already uh, planning her holidays in the years to come, all based on food. 
So she wants to go to Paris or France because she wants pastries. Yeah. And she wants to go to Italy because she loves pizza and pasta. <laughs> so she goes, these are the two main places to go. <laughs> she's very much a carb girl. <laughs> I can see. She is 10. Yeah, she's 10. She loves her baguettes, you know, <laughs> rioches. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely not brain food. <laughs> but for you, um, did you have or have you had the desire to go to the Philippines? Have you been back? Just have you got family there? I haven't been for a long time. I think it's been almost, how old's my nephew? He's three, so maybe four years, four or five years. My, my brother got married and um, he had his wedding there because he's married a Filipino. Okay. Uh, again, um, she's UK born, but she's got a big family. Yes. yes. And she grew up there actually. I think she, got, she was oh. born here and then grew up there. And then, um, so yeah, they had a big wedding, and it is a bit of a culture shock yes. going there. Yes. And I did take one of my friends a few years ago when we were in our 20s, and she was just like overwhelmed with the poverty. Yeah, yeah. I think we keep going down. This is like a little neighborhood, isn't it? Some Tavistock place and Marchmont yeah, Streets, and they got a blue, pink, and white striped pedestrian crossing. I'm just trying to find the square. I think we are in sort of oh, Russell yes. Square now. I know where we're going. Yeah. This is the way I walk to uh, the British Library, actually, in the other oh, direction. This looks like a lovely yes. cafe with all I've, the plants. Yeah, I've been there. That's Moorish, Moorish Cafe, cafe. Deli. It's very good. I've had the most amazing lentil soup in there. Oh, you know where I went on the weekend? To Mildred's. Have you ever been to Mildred's? I haven't been, no. But it's so. a vegan restaurant. Oh, okay. Just off St. Martin's Lane. Ah. And I just had the most amazing dal and this spinach and this paratha and yeah. everything I could eat because I'm dairy intolerant. Oh, and so I saw the menu for desserts and I was yeah. like, I can eat all of this. <laughs> but I think actually Russell Square's down that way. Should we go that way? Yeah. Okay. Just because I know because we're walking in, in uh, reverse from the way I walk okay. back from the British Library to Waterloo Station. Okay. Let's um, quickly. But this dash is, this is interesting. So do you think this is because of your your so heritage that your is it lactose intolerance i'm not sure i mean it kind I've of came yeah it could be and you know an orient because in a lot of orientals are intolerant to lactose yeah but you know it, it didn't happen until i was in my 20s okay um and i had a whole host of stomach issues and i don't know if that was to do with stress or just an intolerance but i did go through the doctors and did all the food you know allergy sort of tests yes and it came across that I was, I was definitely lactose intolerant um, and I had a slight aversion to yeast, okay. so bread. Yeah. So they said I just needed to be more careful because it's interesting in your 20s you don't really think about, well when I was in my 20s, I didn't really think about diets. No. And when I had to do a food diary there's a lot of products that you're eating that have wheat in it. Yes. yes. You know, like you, you would have cereal for breakfast exactly. or toast yeah. and then for lunch you'd have a sandwich and then for dinner you'd have pasta or pizza yeah. and that's a whole day that you've gone through of eating something that's got wheat yeah, you true. know and then you'd have in between you'd have a biscuit yeah. again yeah. wheat yeah. you yeah. know so that was the awareness of what I was consuming yes. um, was brought upon me quite harshly yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. in my 20s and even alcohol you know, that mm -hmm. has yeast yeah, in as well. Yeah, beers as well. Yeah, 
Um, so yeah, I gave up alcohol when I was in my 20s, just due, due to that. Yeah. Then I started smoking and... Because <laughs> it yeah. So to compensate not being able to drink, I started smoking. <laughs> and then when they brought in the uh, introduction of the cigarette band, I thought, that's it, no, I'm not going to smoke anymore. <laughs> and then it was just occasionally until I got pregnant. <laughs> and then I thought, definitely not smoking not, now. No, no. So now, now what's your, what is your vice now that you can't have? Chocolate. Chocolate. Dark chocolate? Dark or milk. I prefer milk. Um, yeah. More praline type okay. chocolates. Um, but I don't, again, I'm, you know, it's one of those things where, it, you know, I've got the intolerance, but because it's not, it's so processed, there's no fresh dairy in it. No. no. I can, it's, I can, it's fine for me to consume. Should we walk through? Yes. Well, yeah. This is the, um... So we're kind of diverted into food now, haven't yeah, we? Yeah, we have. <laughs> but again, you know what, I'm one of those people that I love. I have my group of friends who we used to go clubbing and drinking and now all we do is eat. So we meet yeah. up and we try and find places that we all like and then yes. go and meet up for food. Yeah, fantastic. To the point where we get chucked out because we've taken a table for three and a half hours. Lots <laughs> to talk about as well. Well, yeah, because you don't, a lot of us are parents now, yes. so yeah. you don't really have the time to meet up on a regular basis. No, and once you find your place, you want to sit there and just enjoy it. Yeah. Eat and be I'm social, but a very European concept as well. That. I know, you just want to talk and eat <laughs> all day if possible. So this is the uh, Brunswick Square, isn't it? This is, this yeah. Is, this was social housing at one point, and it's won a number of awards, this, the architecture around here. Um, it looks very Mediterranean. It does, isn't it? I've always wanted to see inside one of these flats, but I've never been, known anybody who... <laughs> has one because a lot of them are privately owned now I think. Oh have they? So they've been bought out as then. usual, yes. Yeah. Right. Um, I just walked down. Yeah we're not too far now from Conran Fields just down oh, the bottom yes. now. Oh yes I forgot we were going to Conran Fields, not Russell Square. <laughs> no, but it's still the I same. I took you on a diverted route. Sorry. Oh, it's still the same, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Probably one who hijacks your, your little uh, journey. <laughs> oh no, I, just, I was just told, go straight, go straight. Because um, I was working with Tom, so the MD of Legend Times. Yes. I worked with him in a previous incarnation, incarnation? Yes. is that a word? Yeah. yeah. Um, right. And he had a company, again called IPR, but it, was, it wasn't the Middle Eastern representative. It was um, a licensing company and I was working for him and he had an office just off um, King's Cross, okay. so Grayson Road. Right. So this is the area that we used to sometimes walk down and yes. grab something to eat. Yeah, it's lovely. Yeah. So yeah, it's changed so much. I haven't been here for years. Lots of new restaurants. Yeah, there are, and there's a cinema inside here as well. I think. Oh there? yes, there is, a isn't there? House. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's a lovely area. So for, for London. Um, you grew up here and then did you go to university in London as well? I did, yeah. Um, only because I was the last year to have the grant before they abolished free education. So I decided to stay close to home just to save money. Okay. And I was because I just wanted to travel. Yeah. And that's that's probably why I took a sales role later on. So I was in production for seven years, so book production, so mm -hmm. printing, typesetting. Right. And then I just wanted to, just to go everywhere and I thought, well, my friend said, why don't you do sales? Yes. You get paid to go abroad and everything's paid for. And all you do is tell people to buy books, so get paid for that. <laughs> so I went are for the a, job. Are you a natural saleswoman, would you say? Um, not really, although my boss says that 
you know, good salespeople always say they're not good salesperson. <laughs> Let's um, hope it's true. I don't <laughs> know. It's the opposite. <laughs> I think, you know, like if you like the product that you're selling, of course, yeah. then it's, you don't need to sell it. No. You know, it's a conversation and you're then, you're persuading that person to enjoy what you're enjoying. Exactly. And I think that's why, you know, I stayed in, in publishing for so long. It's just, I like escaping. Okay. You know, you read a book, you, you use it to escape from whatever reality you're in, just for a few moments, it's like watching TV. Yes. And then that gives you a sense of joy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and a whole host of emotions that you probably didn't even realise you had. So. No, it's true. It's, 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 a great, it's a great way, not only to escape, but also to learn about cultures and maybe things that you would like to do or experiences people have in a book you say oh, I did that oh yeah and, and that's how they dealt with it and you thought you, you think about how you could also um, change the way you do things so it's, they influence you in a way absolutely and they also broaden your your thinking um, a lot of the historical books I, I, I wasn't really a historical reader mm -hmm. per se but I've recently due to my mother-in-law she loves like things to do with like the world war and and people who have struggles women's struggles particularly yeah um and i got sort of into reading that sort of book you know Auschwitz so yes. i just recently finished reading Silka's journey okay. after reading the tattooist of Auschwitz yes that was very popular um, book, wasn't it when I came and out? yeah i mean it took me a long time to to read the book because i didn't i don't like reading things which are popular yeah but then I read it and I just thought, actually, it's quite poignant that this is a real person yes. and his, his story. And that was really touching. So then I started reading other books within that genre. So like The, the Boy in the Striped Pajamas. It's just, it's hard hitting that people have gone through so much pain and yeah. it's not even that long yeah. ago, no, you know? No, exactly. And it's happening all over again. And it's happening again, which yeah. is the scary thing. You feel so sorry for these, these ordinary folks who have had the rug pulled from under them. Yeah, yeah. And it's not even their decision, you no, know? No, And it's the children, it's the people who are just, you know, the everyday person. Yeah, it's the thing like, yeah, I, you just don't know where to start with it at all, but you're just having to leave and take whatever you value the most with you, which is hopefully yourself and your children. And objects are just objects, aren't they? And you can't take all those things with you. Absolutely, my mother-in-law passed away in October and you know we were sorting through a lot of her belongings and it's true you can't take any of those stuff with you and it's you've got to really take life and sort of live it you know yeah um, sure. yeah and those things just end up being things i mean of course yes. you love the stuff that you have yes and by all means you know if you can afford to and sensible buy what you makes you happy because you can't take those things. You can't no. take money with you, can no. you? No, no, exactly. So, yeah. I, I have a friend who says uh, you should be able to take everything that means something to you uh, in two suitcases, maximum. A suitcase if you can. <laughs> That's quite difficult for me because I've got so much stuff, <laughs> literally stuff. <laughs> yeah. Which I've got to sort through. But um, coming back to the, the book, so your, your degree was in communication and media. Yeah, that's right, yeah. So I initially wanted to become a journalist. Um, and then I just realised I didn't have the personality. I was very shy, 20-something or 18-something at those days. Um, and I thought, I don't really have the personality to, to do the hard-hitting reporting. And, yeah. um, and I did a stint at the BBC, um, did Watchdog, 
I thought, definitely not TV. <laughs> um, it was such an eye-opener, and I was just like, oh gosh, I think I need to reevaluate my career choices here. <laughs> so then I thought, well, let's go into sort of book publishing. It mm -hmm. seems more, not easy going, but you have the sort of like-minded people that aren't sort of aggressive. Yeah. You know? I mean, of course, there are personalities in every industry that you go to. But it seemed a lot more palatable to me. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I was quite lucky. It's so competitive these days. But I applied through the Guardian, the job section. Gosh, does that even exist? I anymore? know. I don't know. <laughs> I'm sure they do have them online. Yes. But yeah, it was in the newspaper. I saw an advert, applied for it, and then got the job in production for um, a company called Taylor and Francis. <laughs> okay. So they do a lot of journals, and they were in Fetter Lane, New Fetter Lane. Okay. Um, yes. Right by Fleet Street, um, sort of. Street, yeah. Yes. Um, and that's my that's how I started in my publishing journey mm -hmm. and then they got bought out no, no they didn't get bought out they moved to Oxford because it was cheaper rent and I think they were demolishing all the buildings yeah and refurbing to for the banks I think who okay. ended up buying the big buildings and then I moved to Sweeter Maxwell which was legal publishing okay again in production so working with printers and typesetters and then thought I can't do production anymore <laughs> But it's all, it's all that I know. But so, you know, my husband was like, well, why don't you try and do production with books that you like? Yeah. So then I ended up working for Penguin. Okay. For a bit. Uh, children's books. Oh, right. That's a very different market. Yeah. So it? from legal publishing, <laughs> from academic, then to legal, and then to book, book publishing for children's, I worked for Puffin. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, it was a lot more enjoyable. But yeah, yeah. being such a corporate company, I feel like I was just a little a little wheel, a little yes. cog in a, a massive machine. Yes, yeah. Um, so then I kind of took a, a, a career break right when the recession hit. Okay. <laughs> I think it's 2007. And then sort of thought, I don't know what I want to do. Mm -hmm. Do I want to stay in publishing? And then that's when my friend recommended to go into sales. Okay. Because I still wanted to travel and and I liked reading. I was telling everyone to read books because obviously that's what I was doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So your, your passion for reading was really influencing and, and driving you to stay in that industry as yeah. well. Yeah, ironically, I don't read as much books now because everything I read is for work. Yes, yeah. So my time is filled with reading um, book acquisitions that we want to purchase or books that we are going to publish that I haven't had time to read. <laughs> okay. So it tends to be quite focused on work unfortunately yeah yeah yes. um, I can relate to that having a bookshop I don't think I read any books except for the ones for the book club and even yeah. so I didn't get to the end of most of those either <laughs> so it's just because uh, time's so limited yes, yeah yes, it is. Um, you know and we're lucky that a lot of the books that we publish you know I really enjoy reading yeah, yeah yes. um, so yeah I mean that's that's my career in a nutshell really and the the um, the books that you're, you're sort of um, promoting with Legend Press, mm -hmm. what, what are the main genres? Most of the ones that we do are contemporary literary fiction. Um, we do a sprinkling of historical, so we've just started, our successful titles actually have gone into the more historical route, yeah. as well as crime and thrillers. Okay. So those are the three sort of areas within the fiction. Um, and then you've got the non-fiction imprint, which is just though relatively new, yeah, um, and that's more sort of popular science. Okay. And then the other side is the university imprint, which is the academics. Right. Right. So um, um, yeah, so, so quite a wide range. And how do you go about sourcing or finding the authors that are producing the books that you want to 
published? So a lot um, are through agents, um, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. um, and then we also do have our submission folder um, or site where you can actually upload your submissions. But because we, you know, we're a small team, it takes yeah. a while to um, go through that because you get a lot of books coming through. Right. And the, the time to read, as you know, you know it's, it's quite limited. Yeah. Are we allowed to go th I think so. through? I think so. People just went in. Yeah, where are, should we, be where right. are we going? Where We're this? in Conran oh, Fields Con now. Conran's Fields? Yeah. I don't think I've ever been in Conran's Fields. I always say Conram. I think of the book. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Conram so, Boy. I think I'm always thinking of that. But it's, it's Coram. Coram. So, yeah, I don't even know why it's called Coram's Fields. It's the children's playground, predominantly. Harmonsworth Memorial Playground. So, yeah, so. So do we want to walk around? Yeah, we could just walk around. It's lovely little colonnaded bit there. Isn't yeah, it? there's a little a sand pit over there. Yeah. Um, and for uh, so so people, th there's a huge development of self-publishing. People mm. publishing their own books. How how does that intersect with what you're trying to do? Is there an intersection? Um, well, Are you predominantly feeding off each other. Look, the self-publishing is great, you know, for those that are finding it very difficult to find a publisher who want to, you know, to take your book on. And I think it, it takes the management into your own hands and you're able to then direct it the way you want to. Um, yes. So Tom, you know, the MD for Legend, he also has a publishing arm called New Generation okay. who does the self-publishing side of things. Um, and predominantly that's, it's online, right. you know, you don't really get a lot of self-publishing unless it really takes off in the mainstream sort of retailers. Yeah. So that's the only downside. But to get your book into a retail space, with or without a publisher, it's still tricky. Yeah. You know, it's such a small space now and the retailers are so picky. They just want the big names. And it's yeah. frustrating for us who are an independent publisher. And we know we've got these amazing authors, yeah. um, you know, who deserve to have the readership it's the same with self-publishing, yeah. you know, it, and it's just so hard because these retailers, I guess, get bombarded by all these publishers saying the same thing about yeah. all of their books. Yeah, um, and the, also the the uh, the audience. I mean, the public are very fickle, and their apologies to the public, but they are. <laughs> but we are. Yeah, uh, we tend to go for names that are known and. Uh, uh, that's the first thing. Oh, look! What has he written, or what's she written? And mm -hmm. and, um, and it's it's almost like we need a two-tiered industry of okay, all the famous people's books are here, and these yeah. are these are the books. Yeah, these are the books about writers, authors, just uh, people. Mm, absolutely. Um, but, uh, whether that will ever happen, I don't know. But um, it's just getting the visibility, and that's always been uh, a tricky side of sales: is getting the visibility for the book onto a platform where it will reach the masses. Yes. Um, you know, you can advertise on social media, but that's whether or not people put those parameters in as their interests. Mm. You know, if you don't put it in, then you're not going to reach that person. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's so complicated. I have no idea. We have a data manager that does all these stuff yeah. um, and linking things to different groups. So, for example, if you like David Attenborough, then you might like little books on, on environmental series for children, you mm. know, that sort of thing. Okay. Um, or you're then targeting mothers. 
mothers who have young children. So then you're doing, you know, mother groups. And so it's all very convoluted trying to find the audience that might want your book. Yes. Yeah. Um, and unfortunately, that's how it's going these days is trying to find that link onto social media to try and yeah. find that audience. Yeah. Um, yeah. Amazon, to an extent, does that. But then you pay, you know, yes. you've got the Amazon marketing um, and again, it's click throughs. Amazon are, are interested in the sort of metadata and the clicks and if you're not getting the click through they put your your book on the on the bottom of the pile so to speak yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so when people say they need reviews they really do need the reviews yes. on Amazon they need that stars yes. they need the the reviews even for, for authors who are big they still need those reviews yeah, you know? yeah what do you tell authors to do I mean obviously you're publishing the book and there's there is this big sense of uh, or expectation I suppose from authors and writers that I've written the book there you go mm. um, but in fact that's not really the reality is it not anymore I think no. in the old days maybe 20 odd years ago yes you could just hand the book over and the publisher would take over yeah but these days the author needs to be just as proactive they need to create that following for their Instagram because that's their readers yeah the more followers they have potentially that's their reader that yeah. they sell a book to. So we have an author called Jane Isaac who does, um, a crime, does several crime series for us. And she's so active in terms of getting out to our local bookstores, book clubs, and she does a lot of events just to, to talk about her herself as an author and also the books as well. Yeah. So, you know, in that she's getting the reach by doing it that way. Yeah. And she's a massive online seller on Amazon. So she's her own advocate and mm. you know, I think a lot of authors need to sort of realise that they, in this day and age they need to be so proactive and it's a shame because sometimes you just want to write the book and then sort of put your feet up and, and watch the royalties come in. <laughs> Which of course, for some people maybe that does happen but uh, you've got to be famous already. <laughs> I think so and you know like JK Rowling said you know she got rejected so many times before her book got published mm -hmm. and everybody aspires to be someone like her in yes. terms of the story that then gets told yeah. um, but that's a rarity unfortunately yeah, yeah yes. how do you see the publishing world uh, sort of playing out in the future because there is so much competition or, or interest in self-publishing that people are actually starting to not even try going through try to go through a, um, through the publishing houses and just doing it themselves so they get more of the the royalties mm -hmm. for the amount of effort they now have to put in anyway mm. um, do you think there is a, still a place for the publishing house going forward that's always the dream I think even though you can still do the self-publishing and you know you get to manage and direct your book into the areas you want to I think if you give the person the choice of to be published by a big publishing house or to carry on with your self-publishing route I think a lot of them would want to still be published by a big publisher mm. I mean you know the big publishers are becoming few and far between because they're all getting bought out by each other yes you know yeah, yes. um, so I can't really sort of say what and how they sort of manage their sort of author list and author care yeah but in the past when I used to work for the big publishers you know they would take a lot of time to make sure that authors looked after mm -hmm. um, and that in itself is quite a valuable thing yeah yeah. Um, because you want to make sure, you know, you get your advances, so you, you get paid straid away. Of, of course, before you've even written your book. Exactly. Yes, yes. Um, 
and then you get royalties then on top of whatever your contract says. So for example, your contract says you need to sell at least 3,000 copies before you start receiving royalties. Yeah. If you exceed that and you start reprinting constantly, that's when the money starts coming in. And that's why the big authors have such big payouts. Yeah. And then you've got all the other rights, which I think as a self-published person, you may not be necessarily aware of, mm -hmm. but your publisher will be. Yeah. You know, so you've got the film rights, you've got audio, you've got large print. Um, you've got TV, you know, you've got ebook. Yeah. So these are things that sometimes people who write a book think they're not aware of these other rights that they actually hold. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. You know. Um, but for, and for you as a small independent um, publishing house, mm -hmm. um, you're, are you scared of the big boys up there, or, or have you got a niche that you've that that Tom is? Very much, Tom is the Tom is uh, Tom Chalmers. Yeah, Tom yeah. Chalmers. It, he that he is actually sort of he, he's got the eyes his eyes on the prize of where he's going, as it were, with Legend Press. Um, it's always, I mean, as an independent, which is why you know I moved from a big publisher. I moved, to, I, I kept moving further and further into a smaller publisher. Yes. Um, just because as, a, as an employee, you have more of a say. Yes. But in terms of the business and trying to compete and with the bigger publishers, it's, it's very much hard work. Mm. Um, we don't have the capacity to produce the, the amount that they publish a year. Yes. So for example, um, Quercus, I used to work for Quercus before they got bought out by Hodder. Um, they published on average a year you know 150 titles okay and so you look at that volume and we don't have the manpower to do that yeah we publish about maybe 30 a year okay we would like to be seen as a bigger company but until we reach that point we we can't do so you yeah. know and then that's filters down it's harder than for us to to get the time to push those titles to bookstores mm -hmm. you know because when you see a bookshop or in the past when I used to see them you get given time because you've got so many titles to present so you get half an hour to present 50 60 titles yeah. which is reduced down because you know they're not going to be interested in the others yes um, for me to go into a bookstore and say hey I've got 30 they don't want to to see you okay. <laughs> unless they are crime fiction or, or whatever well, unless there's a big name yeah. you know or there's something there's a hook or a unique yeah. selling point a USP so either it's a local author um, and they're doing really, really well in, in their native language. Yes. Um, but then sometimes they say, well, you know, we've got it in Polish. Why would we need the English language version? Okay. So, you know, there are always obstacles. No matter, yes. even the big publishers, they will say they've got obstacles because they're trying to promote 150, but only 50 of those titles will be ordered. Yeah. So then you've got to then go back to the other, you know, you're, you're with Penguin and you're saying, well, why isn't my book selling? You're a big publisher. Yes. Um, and that's, you know, you can get your, your foot in the door and sell a book, but then that doesn't always come back, it can come back to you in terms of you get returns. Yeah. So then that's a loss for publishing. Publishing is, it's not an easy industry by mm. any means. Mm. It's a lot of upfront payments and then all your, your profits come later. Yeah. So you need the upfront capital to, to do things. Yes, yes. Because you need to print for the, you need to print the books first and market it before you start seeing the sales. Which is another reason why you have to really believe in the author and the book that's been published by, by yourselves, mm. that you can really push it. But um, in, the, in the sort of worldwide market then, 
where do you go with legend press? Do you go, do you go across into into uh, all of Europe, or so we travels take you? I, I've uh, since having children, I tried to take I took a step back from the travelling, mm -hmm. which is why I sort of try and manage people to do the travelling for me now. Okay. <laughs> Um, but before, but before yes, I used to go to uh, like mostly Europe, Scandinavia, Malta. I did South Africa. Um, yeah, predominantly some some of the Mediterranean. Did I do any of the Mediterranean? I don't think I did. Okay. So yeah, um, Poland, some of Eastern Europe, Prague. I went to, um, and you know, what's nice again, which is why I loved publishing and, and sales is that you go to a bookstore, and especially if you build a rapport with someone, it doesn't feel like work. We just end up talking about books, and then yeah. the last 10 minutes, so you've got half an hour meeting to present, and then you're too busy talking about what you've read, <laughs> and what the other person should read, and what she's telling you to read, and yeah. then you've got 10 minutes to then say, right, you need to order these books. And because you've got that rapport, they trust you, yes. and you know what they want and what to put on their shelves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then they just give you the, the quantities. You just like, right, this one's like this, and this one's like that. So you always have to refer a book to something that's mainstream, mm -hmm. um, but not too mainstream. So, you know, you don't do the Game of Thrones anymore. <laughs> and back in the day, you, you used to, you know, yeah, with those yeah. sort of fantasy books. It's like, just like Game of Thrones, or yeah. just like Lord of the Rings. Um, so you, know, you need to be a bit more creative now with your comparisons. Right, right. Um, but yeah, we always need to have comparison authors when yeah. you're presenting titles, especially authors who aren't known. So um, it's very important when we do the title information sheets. Mm -hmm. So these are um, an A4 piece of paper, A5, where it will give you all of the information on the blurb, what the book is about, where the author's from, and the key selling points as to why this book is different and why they need to order it. So whether it's you know um, an activism book or if it's touching upon certain mental health aspects, that sort of thing. Sure. Okay. Now we have this sort of com not competition. Well, maybe it is competition between the paperback or the hardback, the paperback, the ebook, mm -hmm. the audio. When I had my bookshop, I found more and more people were going to audio, mm. and I'm wondering whether that is still a trend, or are people still wanting the paperback, or more people. Because the ebook took a rise as well, yeah. But then, sort of, it sort of hit a plateau, yeah, didn't it? And then, yeah. And then people realise actually, I missed the paperback. I think yeah. So a lot of people are saying, oh, we're driving, or we're doing this, and audio works better for me now. Yeah. And I wonder whether that is the way we're going with books. Um, I don't know. I think there will always be peaks and troughs with the different um, sort of variation of books um, and availability. You know, I think. The people who want the hardbacks are the ones that are desperate to read it straight away. Yes. Um, and then you've got the people who want the hardback because it's a collector's item or it looks sure. beautiful, yeah. you know, and it would look great on their bookshelves. Um, so that's, that's always that sort of area. Um, and it's not going to be a hardback unless it's obviously like Michelle Obama, you know. Mm -hmm. um, it's not going to always be a big sort of print run. Um, but the paperback, I still think, is popular. I think people still want the paperback. Some people have the ebook as well, you yes, know, like I've yeah. got, sometimes I've got two versions. Mm -hmm. um, but audio, there's definitely, you know, podcasts and all that sort of stuff, like what we're doing now, yeah. is, you know, it's on the rise. Um, and I think during lockdown, I think the, the sales for online, especially in paperback, have gone up because people aren't traveling. Yes, of course. So the, yeah. e you know, the ebook, you know, you, there, there are still lovers of, you know, Kindles, because it's, you know, you can have like 10 books in, in one little device. Yeah. But I don't know, I think a certain age group, I think, um, you still 
want the tactile of yeah. turning a page. Yes. I feel yes. like I remember the book more when it's a paperback yeah. rather than an e-version. I feel yeah. like it's almost, I've forgotten, it's almost like a throwaway item, you know, like a one hit. Yeah. Wonder almost, you know, you read it and then it's on to the next one. Yeah. Whereas with a paperback, I feel like it sort of stays with you a bit more and you remember it. I don't yeah. know if that's... And it's on your shelf as well, well quite often it is. Yeah. <laughs> Reminding you that it's still there. Which I think... Of its story. Well, speaking of shelves, I mean, you know, that's an important factor with a lot of books. It's like the cover. Mm. You know, people buy, buy books yes. officially. We have a lot of debates in-house with covers and designs and stuff and what works for people and what doesn't and which market are you trying to reach and yes. fonts you know the amount of times we've had conversations about font color and font size <laughs> <laughs> and typography yeah it's true because some people oh you wouldn't use that font would you and exactly think, well what's wrong with that font <laughs> yeah or you do a cover you're like there's something missing and yeah. you don't know what it is and it can go around for ages until you <laughs> find the perfect thing so how do you view a book as is it personally do you see it is it your friend is it something that you break the spine to read or do you covet it and do you keep it in your bookshop do you set, give it to someone else or how, how oh it's, it's funny um, when I was younger I used to buy two books if I really loved it yeah because I would I would bend the spine and I used to fold pages I don't okay. do that as much now because I feel like a book wants to be lived Okay. It wants to felt like it's been read, but these days, you know, if I really love a book, I'd almost buy two, also, yeah. um, and um, keep one on the shelf as pristine. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Especially if it was really, really pretty, because a lot of them have gold foiling or flocking, and, yes, yeah. you know, that sort of stuff. I don't do that as much now. I've got kids, but um, it's almost a collection. Yeah. It's almost like it's a reflection of you and your personality, yeah. and the journey you're making as as a, a person reading and how it's gone on, you know, you look at your bookshelf and I love sort of going into a second-hand bookshop mm -hmm. um, and seeing a really old version of like Little Women. Yes, yes. I, I remember I went to a bookshop in Richmond and I saw, I think it was one of the third, third edition, so it was quite old um, and it was hardback and it had some inscription to a young lady and I thought, gosh, I wonder what this young lady thought. You know, it's almost like it's had a life yeah, 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 before yeah. it came to you. Yes, yes. Um, and I hate the idea, absolutely hate it, of pulping books. Which, uh, <laughs> I, I couldn't. You know. Like now, what I try to do, because I'm a, you know, I work with Tom on stock keeping and stuff. So I try and give the books to charity. Um, so like when we, every time we moved office, yes. and we always have an excess of books, I would try and give the books off to to charities like send over to Africa. Yeah. Luckily, they, they work with other publishers as well to, to minimise the, the pulping of yes. books. Yeah, yeah. And it's just it's nice to give something back that I think someone else could enjoy that. Absolutely. You know? It's somebody's words that they've sweated blood and tears over to put on a bit of pa on paper. Mm. I couldn't just shred or pulp. No. And also, and also you paid for, for that book yes, you know, as exactly. a, a publisher. So, yeah, I always try and avoid that as much as possible. Do you think the amount of books that are, uh, are produced in advance and then end up uh, sitting in store cupboards or is going to be grossly reduced going forward with this whole environmental impacts of, of books and trees and... Yeah, I think so. I mean, on a conscious level, our company, I mean, it's more to do with budget, I would suspect, um, but you're trying to print enough to warrant 
X amount of months. So you're not just having books sitting there for years and years on end. Yes. Um, because you know ultimately that's assets that is not selling. Mm -hmm. So you try we try and do a lot of short runs. So for example, an academic book, we'd probably print like two or three hundred copies. Okay. You know, academic books are a niche. And so they're not going to be an in instant demand for them unless there's an event or it's written for a particular um, course. Mm -hmm. um, so that will be like a slower sell through. Yes. For, and then, you know, for example, we've got a, a book called The Lost Apothecary by Sarah Penner, and that just published in February as a paperback, and we did the hardback last year, mm -hmm. and we printed 5,000 copies and we're practically out of that wow. since February Gosh. you know so we're, we're looking at doing another reprint of 6,000 copies but we know that's going to sell through in a few months yeah yes. you know, if not weeks okay. so there's different products there but with Sarah is because she had a big publisher in the US um, and they did a lot of marketing mm -hmm. in the States which filtered through to here and she's very proactive socially her book just hit something it's a, it's a book based in London mm -hmm. and it's about an American lady who comes over so it's based in two timelines okay um, and she discovers mudlarking oh wow yeah Interesting. <laughs> and she finds a vial um, in the River Thames yeah and she starts going to like the British Library to research about it yeah and she realizes there's a thing called apothecary shops that they use to supply um, herbal medicines for yes. ailments yeah and then you flip into the sort of Victorian age where this woman has an apothecary shop mm -hmm. and it's actually where the vials come from. Okay. Um, and her shop is hidden. It's, it's sort of like in the back streets and it's, she's got a facade. So she provides almost like poisons okay. to distressed women who need help with the men in their lives okay. to basically get rid of them. <laughs> but a lot of her, her poisons are very discreet so they're they're hidden obviously in those days you know the medical profession wasn't as advanced as ours yeah so you couldn't do a toxicology report so okay. anything you know <laughs> Luckily so that. yeah and a lot of the the um poisons that she used you put them in food so then it's oh. seen like a heart attack or yeah or stomach problem or you know, gastritis you know or something like that so she would provide these things and she would do them very discreetly um, and it was it was her way of helping women who were in situations where they couldn't escape. Okay. You know. Um, so the the story flits between the two. Yeah. Um, so I don't know what happened, but the, yeah, it just it just hits an audience. Yes. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think it follows on from like the familiars and the binding, that kind of trend. Yeah. Yes. Um, so yeah, that's proving quite popular at the What's moment. What's the book called again? The Lost Apothecary. The lost I'll have to look that one up. <laughs> yes. Um, but yeah, it's really interesting how she crushes like the Beatles to find. And she herself is going through trauma. So they both do. The, the two protagonists in the yes, stories yes. Um, are going through their own sort of personal conflicts. Okay. Yeah. Fascinating. Yeah. That, I mean, yeah, there is that fine line between herbs and plants can be of health benefit or kill you <laughs> yeah there is a fine line yeah. um yeah what can what can save you can also kill you yes yeah, yeah. um so yeah it's a, an interesting concept and she's doing really well internationally as well okay you know we did a special edition for india for the book club there all oh, right and they wanted like sprayed edges and wow. yeah and they went they went all out with their edition 
gosh. Yeah. So they could actually commission how they want the book to look. Okay. Yeah, I mean, they um, we printed it locally in India, so it was more in terms of economically better for them. Yeah. So we did it. It was you know called a local print, so we would send the spec off to the the printer, and they would give us a quote, and and it was actually distributed by Penguin India. Okay. They're, they're our distributor in India. Um, and yeah, so they said the book the book club wants it to be high end spec. Okay. So um, wow. yeah. <laughs> so and the, it's interesting. I can't remember the name of the book club. Um, I think it's called the big the big book box because it's an online. So it's like a book club, but you get this book through post, and it's a subscription, I think. Okay. So their model is that they wanted books which are beautifully written, packaged beautifully but they wanted it to be debut, which right. was amazing. Yes. And she fitted that bill. Yes, yes. Um, they were actually interested in a new book called, again, it's a historical um, novel called Set in Stone, mm -hmm. which is based in Moldova. Okay. But it's historical and it's based on two women um, who fall in love in the, in the medieval times. Mm. So it's um, fighting the patriarchy. Yes. Um, and, you know, very feminist. Yeah. Book. Again, yes. it's got the, the herb healing witch who helped the people but then was also outcast right because you know the church doesn't believe in that yeah, yeah. and then you've got another lady who is fighting um the the title and the role of not being a man okay. so she she wants to inherit her father's land but she can't because she's a woman right um and then she falls in love with the the witch and they try and make it it's a very uplifting book okay definitely with struggles yeah yeah of course well medieval times <laughs> yeah. thank you yeah would it medieval times was very much open to all sorts of things um it's probably behind closed doors yeah, maybe exactly, yeah yes. but yeah i mean i think historical fiction i think is is on trend at the moment yes, yes. yeah interesting okay um coming back to london then, yes yeah. so when you when you do get a, a bit of time to escape from your children and your family <laughs> and have your own time. Where, where do you go in London? Where do you like to...? I don't really come into London that much unless it's to eat. Okay. So I come and meet friends because we all live all over, all over London. Yes. And we kind of meet centrally to, to eat. I mean, I used to, when I was younger, um, at lunchtime, when I was work, working for Walker Books, mm -hmm. I used to sit by embankments and yes. sit on a bench there and just watch well, the boats go up and down. Yeah, watch the Try and read. <laughs> it's difficult. Too many distractions. I know. You sort of start reading, then you get distracted by the commotion <laughs> on the river, uh, and that was beautiful on a sunny day. But yeah, I mean, London's great because so it's so many different cultures and flavors everywhere. And you, know, you like like we're doing now. You walk from one end, and it's very commercial, and then you just nip behind around a corner and it's like you said res residential Very residential exactly and yes. then you've got like pockets of greenery yes yes do you walk back up that way or are you going to take me a different route um we can this go is, back to this, this oh. is russell square yeah we can here. go through bedford is it bedford square oh yes um i'm determined to take you to russell square aren't I? <laughs> we're here now <laughs> russell square we yeah. made it, we made it. <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah i mean with with kids that, I love taking them, especially during lockdown, because we couldn't go anywhere. We did a lot of walks in the woods, like Pets Woods and, and, and park runs and stuff with the kids, just to burn off some energy. Yeah, yes. Um, and, you know, when you, move, when you go a bit further out of London, 
there's some wonderful woodlands yes you know and kids are so um, imaginative like there was this um so in Petswood there's an area where it's lots of sort of sparse and sort of prickly hedgerows and only because on that day we saw loads of butterflies yeah they call it the butterfly park so children children and books because that's that's a that's a huge market isn't it as well absolutely my kids luckily (laughs) well maybe it's been sort of forced on them they love reading as well and you know every night it's to the point where sometimes i just want to read the same book over and over again for the whole year (laughs) i've had to hide books under the bed because i can't bear the sort of reading it again um, or sometimes I'm so tired I start to try and skip pages but then you but always know, <laughs> I get caught out and have to double back um, but do you think because of the lockdowns that you've had more time at home and therefore you've been able to nurture that the enthusiasm for reading and books or does that come anyway I think it you know it comes down to the parents I think yeah I made it a routine mm-hmm. that they had to, to read. Um, and, you know, unfortunately with my, my youngest son, we didn't really get to go to libraries that much, but during lockdown, we went to our local library in Orpington and he was amazed really? at all the books. As usually in a bookshop, I tell him not to touch too many books <laughs> because, you know, they're quite rough and ready. And I yeah. think I'm one of those people, if the book isn't pristine, I'm not buying that book, no, no. which I was so upset when I bought Small Pleasures by Claire Chambers, I think. Okay. Um, and it's a book set in Kent, so where I live. Yes. And it had sprayed edges. So it was a paperback and it was a special edition for Waterstone. It had like orange sprayed edges. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, and I put it in my bag and then my water bottle leaked. Oh, no. <laughs> and I was so livid <laughs> at myself. <laughs> Did you go buy another copy? No, I didn't because I just thought, like, let me just read this one. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I haven't had the chance to buy another copy, but. Because it's a limited edition, I hope that they'll have another copy. Yeah. But yeah, when I took them to the library and he could touch every single book and he was just like, can I buy this one? Can I buy this one? I was like, no, you can't buy it. You, you borrow it. How long for? You know, so it was, a, it was a, such a new concept yeah, for him. And then I said, we can borrow for you. And he goes, no, I don't want to borrow it. And he goes, what if I like it and I don't want to give it back? <laughs> no, no, and I said, we can, we can buy the book if you love it. Yeah. And sometimes he, he'll bring books home, like he loves rhyming books, like Commotion in the Ocean, he loves, to the point where I had to go actually buy the book on Amazon because I couldn't find it anywhere. Oh really? So yeah, because a lot of the books he brings back are quite um, old, yes, um, yeah. but then you know he doesn't want to give it back to school because he loves it, so yeah. then we're of a, an age, or again quite privileged that I can just purchase a copy for him and there are many parents out there who can't do that so which is why the library is such an important thing I think it should be pushed more I think I think protected absolutely so a lot of people don't have that access to libraries that they had like we had they were all everywhere yeah well that used to be my Saturday was a, as a kid my parents would in Barnet used to drop me off at Barnet Library mm-hmm. and they would go off and do the Sainsbury's or yeah, I think it was Sainsbury Sainsbury shopping yeah. uh, which would take them an hour and then they would pick me up and oh, I'd yeah. be there with my, my books stack of books <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah you know every two weeks I'd go back there yeah. and I don't know if that's that's what it was that made me like books so much yeah yeah but I think it was for me. It was the, it's the it was the idea that you could have any book on the shelf. Yeah. And and there were so many like, and you had the time to 
dip in and read some of them first to decide whether he liked it or not. So. Mm. I remember being so shocked about adult fiction when I was like 12, I think, and I went into the library and it was just, I think it was just misplaced yeah. and it was a Mills and Boone's title and it was put near the, the young adult section. Yeah. And so I started like just casually reading a few pages and I was like, oh my God, this is a bit raunchy <laughs> compared to the standards to these days, probably not so much now. I was even more shocked that I was able to actually borrow that book <laughs> <laughs> with no questions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> my kids actually quite like Marvel at the moment, so they're really into like books are based on comic heroes and yes they, they love all that as well it is the thing isn't it at the moment yeah the superheroes yeah they've really capitalized on that whole superhero genre, yeah, genre. yeah yeah absolutely my daughter she's 10 and she's a very hard person to please with books she she always says i don't want a boring book i said well how do you know it's going to be boring until you start reading it and then she goes, I can tell with the cover. That's really interesting, isn't it? That's so she'll read the blurb yeah. and she goes, if it's not interesting, she's not interested. So she wants books which are quite funny. Okay. She goes, why do I want a book that makes me feel sad? Quite right. You know, she goes, there's too <laughs> much sadness point. already. And I was like, yeah, that's true. Yes, yeah, yes. Yeah. Although she did read the book, The Boy in the Back of the Class. Have you heard of that no, one? No, no. No, so it's about an immigrant that comes into the class um, and it's him trying to fit in and it's him sort of learning the culture and, and trying to, to open up about where he's from and feeling ashamed and yeah, that yeah. sort of stuff and making friends okay. and then people having empathy towards him. Interesting. You know, so yeah. yeah, she did enjoy that, but she goes, it was quite serious. <laughs> <laughs> was she born in London or was she born in Kent? Uh, she was born actually in Croydon because yeah. we were in between housing at the time so we were staying with my mother-in-law who was in Norbury yeah. so we were in a bit of limbo so we were in a hurry to buy a place before I went on maternity yeah, yeah. and so we just couldn't afford anywhere we were thinking Croydon couldn't afford it Beckenham still couldn't afford it wow. Bromley couldn't afford it <laughs> I ended up in Orpington I was like where's Orpington? <laughs> I think this is the free food see the queue of people yes they do give you a paper plate. Just as well. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so, um, so what do they say? Oh, you can have a look. They, it's usually dal and rice and fruits and some bread. So look how much is, they give is you. Is it for the students? Uh, for anyone, really. Yeah. I mean, you can, like, if you're hungry, yeah. just line up and just grab. That's fantastic. They give you an apple, bread. You can smell it. It's like a curry. Yeah. Yeah, chickpea curry. It's usually vegetarian. Yeah. yeah. So this is, this is a very interesting university, the School of Oriental and African Studies, so mm. us, um, right in the centre of London. If I had my time again going to university, this is where I would come, I think. Really? I'd like to do that, rather well. than building surveying. I mean, I tried to <laughs> <Did> build <you? laughs> which It's totally me, different. <laughs> just, just, I think probably, but I'm, 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 uh, I've got made that decision based on hindsight about what I've seen of the world and realised mm. how little I knew beforehand and trying someone like this and to be able to totally immerse yourself in, yeah. in the history from around the world and have a better understanding of cultures, which perhaps in, in schools now they are, are doing that more, but certainly when I was in school in Edinburgh, <laughs> 
nothing like that. It was funny, I was talking to my colleague and we were talking about geography, um, just randomly, because her, her daughter's doing GCSE and looking at A-levels yes. um, and deciding which subjects to do. And I said, I remember picking geography, thinking, yeah, I would love to know more about the world. And being utterly disappointed, it was like physical geography, more about the uh, rivers yes. and <laughs> oxbows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was thinking, this is not what I wanted to know. The weather know. systems, in yeah, our case. Yeah, the erosion <laughs> of the riverbanks. Yeah. All very just, important stuff, but, not, but didn't the expectations. No, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think, I don't know how the education has changed. I mean, I know it's... My daughter was doing the 11 plus, which is like a grammar yeah. uh, to get into grammar school, which I had no idea about because in North London, we didn't have that. Mm -hmm. um, you literally just applied for a school, you know? Yeah. Um, and it was so tricky. A lot of the questions for her maths and English and her sort of lateral thinking that she had to do. Really? And she was 10, 10, you yes. know, and, oh, and she had to do it in exam. Pressure. Yeah, and in exam conditions where it was like, three hours to do two papers and yes. but all credit to her I mean she didn't pass but you know I just said to her it's good that you you tried and you know what you're sort of capable of yeah because I said if you if you get through you get through if you don't you don't I said there's no no pressure there yeah yeah it just you know it gives you a different it gives you a wider reach in terms of schools yes um, yeah. but yeah it was it's so crazy some of them questions and the fractions and the mental maths, I should just say. The mental maths. <laughs> I'd be hopeless. I'm sure I'd failed at a fail at 11 plus. She, I mean, she, I, she would ask me questions, go, how do I do this? And I'm like, I have no idea. I absolutely have no idea. <laughs> and I'd have to ask a tutor and say, can you help? That's and a lot of her tutors were just graduates from universities yeah, and they were yeah. so, so on the ball. Yeah, I was so yeah. impressed. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? I think a lot of people, to, to pass your 11 plus, a lot of children have extra tutoring to, hmm. so they do get through it, don't they? But, um, yeah, I mean, my daughter does that, but more, I said, it's more for confidence level, and, you know, she d we don't really have the time to sit with her and, and go through yeah. some of the, the homework that she has. Yeah, yeah. So I said, for me, this is a reassurance that you're getting taught the material that you need to know yeah. by someone that knows it. Yeah. Rather than me sort of muddling through and giving you what I think is how you do it, yeah. to what should be done. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I said, I want you to feel like when you're in the classroom that you roughly know what they're teaching you. Um, she has found, found it very valuable, even though she does drag her feet every now and then. <laughs> Don't we all? <laughs> yeah. So where, where is she at school? She she's at primary school, so she's... Um, in Orpington. In Orpington, yeah. So she's just applied for secondary school, which I'm petrified. <laughs> Absolutely petrified. Yeah, it takes you know. her to another level of uh, it's just parenting the, as well. <laughs> absolutely. It's the the unknown and the stories you hear about bullying and social media and all of that sort of stuff. You're just like, I don't know if I can cope. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think if you have a good relationship with your with your child already, ready, it makes it easier because hopefully it means that you already talk to one another and, and trust one another. And yeah, I mean, she is, you know, whenever she has a problem, she always comes to us and I hope that doesn't change. Yeah. But she is quite a volatile character. Mm -hmm. She, you know, she flies off the, she's very emotional. She flies off the handle very quickly. Okay. She's more of react now. Yes. Consider things later, you know, whereas <laughs> I, I'm very practical. So sometimes we do clash. <laughs> 
because um, I'm telling her to calm down and she's all in a rage. Is that the, the, the Cypriot part of her, do you think? Oh, I have no idea. <laughs> uh, I don't know if it's because she's an Aries. <laughs> Does she see herself as part Filipino, part Indian, part Cypriot? And part um, London, how does she view herself? I think she finds it... I think as she's got older, she's found it more interesting. Yes. When she was younger, she never understood why she wasn't blonde and blue-eyed. You know, with the Disney stuff. She's like, oh, I'm not pretty. And I'm like, why? And she goes, because I don't have blonde hair. And I was like, you don't need to have blonde hair. And she goes, but all the princesses have blonde hair. This was before Moana. This was, you know, we were trying to find things, and she couldn't really identify with Mulan because it was, it was too old-fashioned. It wasn't. Okay. You know, she wasn't wearing the big dress. She was wearing like the traditional sort of Oriental sort of outfits, and so she couldn't really identify with that. Yes. Um, and it's only recently that you you start to see more multicultural representation in in animation. Yes. Which is brilliant. Like she loves. I don't know if you've heard of Encanto. Um, which is like the Colombian animation oh, series yes, by Lynn Manuel, yes. and so yeah, she loves that, you know. And I think that's especially for the younger generation, it's very important to yeah. have people who are her heroines yes. but are not the typical stereotype. Like the main character, uh, Mirabel, she's got glasses and yes. she's seen as an outcast in her own family wow. because she doesn't have a gift, and it's kind of coming to the realization that. You don't necessarily have to have a gift. Everyone has their own yes. um, uniqueness yes. about them. So well said, and a lot of people, say it's not said enough to children that mm. everyone has a skill and everyone has yeah. has their own superpower. Almost, well, that's the thing, you know. And she does. She, she's very impatient as well, because I mean, I'm, I'm I do a lot of art as well, and she's always saying, "You're so good at drawing," and. Um, I can't be as good as you. And I was like, you've got like 40 years ahead of you. <laughs> you've got time. <laughs> you've got time to develop your own skill. Yeah. Which way do you want to go? Do you want to do a loop and then come back round? Okay, well, let's yeah. do that. Yeah. Okay, we'll wait for it to we go can, green. We could walk down the sunny side of the street. Yeah. Like, okay. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think there's, she, she has this expectation of, I need to do this right straight away mm -hmm. or otherwise I'm no good. Yeah. Yeah, so she's quite complex already. And it's such an eye-opener having children yeah. and knowing the intricacies of, of making them happy, almost. And is that for you where books can come in, even though she's a bit picky as to what books she has? Yeah. Like, it's interesting, like, but she wants ones that are happy. I think that's very interesting for her. Yeah, it's, it's funny because she always wants to be happy. And I think sometimes, you know, it's, it's almost how we as adults trying to strive for that fulfillment and contentment and happiness, the, you know, like the book of happiness yes. uh, or the book of calm and trying to find that, that balance of your inner turmoil yeah. and expectations and how you see yourself and how others, how people see you, how you're perceived. Yeah. And I think at such a young age, she's already got that. Yeah. And it's not heartbreaking, but it's, you, I, I sometimes feel for her, but then I sometimes say, trying to get across and say to her, you can't always think about what other people think of you. And also what makes you happy can change constantly. Mm. Um, and being satisfied. There's a, um, and going back to Lin-Manuel, there's a, a play that he does, Hamilton. Mm -hmm. And in the play, I don't know if you've seen it, I there's have, a, yes, a song good. called, You'll Never Be Satisfied. 
Yeah. Um, and she said to me, that's my song. Because <laughs> no matter what she chooses, even though, you know, sometimes, you know, she has a choice, even like, even down to like choosing, you know, what she's going to have for lunch. She said, she goes, I'm never satisfied with what I've got. I've always, I always want what, what you've got, or I, I always regret my choice. That's really interesting. Um, so she's very aware, <laughs> isn't she, of everything, self-aware of, uh, and aware of everything else around her. But then also, she gets into this sort of mind frame where it's hard to then reason with her. Yes, yeah. Um, yeah. Whereas the little one, he's only five. I think I was pregnant. Was yes. I pregnant? Yeah. I think yeah. You were, yes. Um, he's a boy, and he's completely to hell with everything and <laughs> a different, a different uh, mindset. Situation, mindset yeah. yeah you know he just wants to be big and strong and you know be like hulk to be honest <laughs> um so yeah he said to me will i ever be a superhero if i eat enough will i ever be a superhero because i'm always like you know if you eat your greens you'll be big and strong and then he goes are there real superheroes and i'm like yeah you know there's firemen there's police people there's people that you know help people out in charities because those aren't real superheroes they don't have a cape they don't <laughs> I said, but these people do valuable work yeah they've got hidden you know cape. yeah <laughs> and then and then he kind of looks at me like in disbelief like, hmm. <laughs> he's not so sure <laughs> he's not sure yeah have you like an idea of where you'd like to take them do you want to take them to to, to India and, and to um, Cyprus. Cyprus. Yeah, we'd love to, yeah. And um, to the Philippines, obviously. Yeah, they've both been to the Philippines, luckily. Okay. And I took Annalie um, to Beijing with my mother-in-law. So I went there for the book fair. Oh, yes. Um, and it was during the summer holidays, so it was in August. And then I said to my mother-in-law, oh, I'm going here. She goes, oh, I'd love to go to Beijing. Yeah. Um, and I said, well, why don't you come along? We can add some extra days. And we can see you know the great wall of china and go around the markets yeah. and stuff and she says yeah and then my daughter was like i want to come too <laughs> so yeah we all ended up going three of us to yeah. beijing and i added i think four days on top of my three days for work yes um and they just did their own thing yeah. um we saw the great wall of china and Fantastic. you know even now my daughter's like i can't believe i saw that massive wall you know yeah it's pretty impressive isn't it, it is <laughs> although when we got the um the cable car was it was supposedly a cable car, but it ended up being like a ski lift up towards the top of this mountain. And there was such a massive drop. My mother-in-law scared of heights. And we had no choice because we didn't realise until we got to the, to the area where the cable car was yeah. that it was just a cable car. <laughs> and then by, by then it was too late and the man just had no English. He just dragged us onto the, onto the seat. And then we were up before you knew it. And she was just like, oh my God, don't look down. <laughs> And there's a picture of my mother-in-law and my daughter sitting on the Great Wall, just off the Great Wall of China, just in shock. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just like sitting there, all red. They couldn't believe they were on top of the, uh, this wall. Yeah. <laughs> and I was there walking, walking around. And I had to just leave them because they were shell-shocked. <laughs> and you could take a toboggan, but you can take all the oh way back goodness, down. Oh my there was none of that when I went to. Oh really? No. <laughs> There was certainly no chairlift either. <laughs> so did you have to walk all the way to the yeah, top? Oh my gosh! There was a the hike. There was a it was a minivan that took us with, mm. uh, of course, no English at that time, uh, with a whole load of people. We didn't, weren't even sure whether we were actually going to make it to the to the Great Wall of China, but we, we arrived. It was March. It was so cold, oh and they were selling these these um, 
hats. So we had the three of us was, uh, bought these hats just to keep because it was absolutely bitterly cold. Mm. We were taken into a museum just to be shown everybody who had died while building the Great Wall of China. Oh my goodness! And there were skeletons and leeches coming out. Oh, it was all absolutely horrible. And, and then bits of babies and bottles. It was absolutely disgusting. I mean, I thought I was going to be ill. Um, and then, and then we found you know, went up and we just walked along the wall, and then we were taken back. But, um, yeah. It was all it was all a bit of um, a mystery because we didn't really know where we were. We were just in the minibus with a lot of people. Oh gosh, yeah. So, young girls on on a travel trip without realising where we were. Oh my goodness. So anyway, wow. That's that's a journey in itself. Yeah, yes. Goodness, at least you've got a story to tell. Well, that's true. <laughs> yes. But you know, we went to Beijing and we went to this. We were staying in the Kaplinsky. Um, so we stayed in a um, sort of in a smaller hotel on our own trip yeah. um, before we did the business bit and then when we did go to the business area there was this building where it had like a massive food court and then a bookshop linked to it oh, wow. and the bookshop was amazing because it had different levels yeah. and then they had all these I mean obviously I couldn't understand any of them because they were all in Chinese but they had um, these carousel books where it was like a musical instrument within the book and I don't know if it was telling the story yeah but there was like you wind it and then you read the book and it would there's sort of different music for each of the pages oh wow that sounds really um, interesting yeah and it was just all these different concepts um, and I was I'm fortunate to see so many different bookshops yeah in my travels you know um, so do you have a favorite out of all the, the bookshops um, that you visited there's the one which I, I really always enjoyed going into was Shakespeare and Co. in Paris. In Paris yeah. Just because it's, it's how I imagine bookshops to be when I was younger. Okay. You know, none of this linear shelving, you know, everything's quite clean. Yes. Um, and sort of, I, I, you know, I like the sort of higgledy-piggledy. Yeah. Um, and the smell as well. There's, there's, you know, the smell of books. It's quite apparent in that shop. Did you stay there? in Paris. In, in, no, in this bookshop because you can stay. Oh no, there. yes, I know you can. No, I didn't stay in the in the bookstore. Um, but yeah, it's it's you feel like you're in a different place yeah. when you're there. Yeah. Um, and then there's another one that I went to, I think it's in Denmark, Politikens. Um, and that was, for me, they were the first people that I remember serving coffee in a bookstore, ah. um, you know. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. What a great concept. <laughs> yeah. Now everybody does it. Yeah. <laughs> and I remember him sharing with the coffee machine. Um, Finn, who was the person I used to see, um, and he was like, yeah, what kind of coffee do you like? And I was like, I don't know, just drink coffee. <laughs> and this is before like, it, it really, really took off. off yeah. yeah. So what year was that? Was that oh, gosh. So way before my daughter. So like 2008, I would say, yeah. 2009. Um, so yeah, a while ago. Yes, yes. Um, and I just remember being overwhelmed with the fact that you can have a, a cafe in a bookshop. <laughs> <laughs> I know, and now everybody does it. I know. Uh, and you can sit there for hours with your laptop and re <laughs> do your work. <laughs> yeah, with, with just the one coffee. <laughs> yeah, with, exactly, nursing that one coffee. <laughs> yeah. Um, We've probably talked quite a lot these about all sorts of things. I know, we've gone, we meandered everywhere, haven't we? Yeah, you know, it's been such a lovely day. It's been nice just meandering and chatting. Yeah. And we've ended up in um, Bedford Square, yeah. which is a lovely green space as well. I love this. Even in central London, all these sort of 
oxygen lungs of little parks that you can yeah. sit in, particularly on a day like this. Back in the day, we used to do a book walk. Um, a, Did you? Yeah, I don't know if it was a charity thing, but all the publishers would open their doors on this one day, mm -hmm. where it was it was basically a piss up with all the publishers, and you you dress up. So I think I was at Walker, and there was like a Where's Wally, so we all dressed up as Where's Wally, and you'd go around to all like, um, like Bloomsbury Square, particularly. So you go to all the publishers yeah, in yeah, one afternoon, yeah, as many publishers yeah. as you can, because they're so, all very central. Yeah, based, and then so. you get stamped, and you get your free proof copies, and then. You'll meet up somewhere in Leicester Square to to get awarded who got the most stamps or whatever. And I don't know if there was money that went into charity because I don't remember. I just remember drinking a lot. <laughs> but they got rid of that, which yeah. is a shame. Yes, yes. But um, yeah. All those fun times. It was the golden era, really. The golden <laughs> era of publishing. Yeah. When you used to get the good thing about production is that you got taken out mm -hmm. by the printers and typesetters. So I was fortunate to go to some lovely restaurants. Yes. When people had money, yes, <laughs> budgets. Yes. But now that doesn't happen. No, not really. Now everything's online. People don't really always see you, and yeah, you know, budget cuts and paper shortages, and so you were very lucky to see. Well, were you lucky? Do you think to see that that world when it ex when it was existed, or are yeah, you happy you know with what? the world that you're in now? I think I'm. Well, I think it's all relative in how your life is and and how you're living it at that present time. When I was young, being in production was great because yeah, every Christmas I was yeah. out, yes. you know, for the whole month being taken out and they would just give you loads of things, chocolates, calendars. It was all bribery, basically, mm. you know, to try and persuade you to stay in, and have the business and yes. keep, keep the work with the printers and the typesetters and yeah. make sure it's all customer care. Yeah. I, I shouldn't say bribery. But, <laughs> That's a bit too harsh. Nice. You can't do any of that because you're then seen to, as you say, potentially bribe somebody to... Yeah, to I, think, somebody I remember doing off. a course on bribery and I think it, if it was over £100, it was seen as bribery. Okay. Um, otherwise, it was seen as like customer care and you know, just having lunch. There's only so many chocolates you can get. Yeah. Is it, is <laughs> when, it's when they start giving you gold watches, that's when you should be yeah. worried. <laughs> Never happened to me, unfortunately. No. <laughs> um, yeah, I think I was, I was very lucky that I, was, I started in the industry when I did. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it was quite, um, not affluent, but there was, there was more money to spend on the niceties. Yes. Um, I think after the recession, everything sort of changed. For sure, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah. And in terms of the, the the bookshops going forward, do you think do you think bookshops are going to survive? I hope so. Yeah, yeah. They're adapting, aren't they? As they they are. And like I said, with like the Danish bookshop, with the coffee shop, and I think that's the the future really. That coffee shops will will then merge more so, maybe even restaurants. Yeah. I think bookshops do need that because. There's only so much an eight ninety nine book or twenty pound book can afford rent in London. Yeah. You know, or to pay get a your salary. Yeah. yeah, or salary. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and that that was a really big thing over lockdown, that the footfall in a lot of shops and you know many independent bookshops have yeah. suffered. Yeah. You know, whether or not that's yeah, loss of like staff good. or having to close down or having to relocate. Yeah. Um, and having to adapt very quickly to a new business model. Yeah. Um, to do more online, um, to do events. We do events now on on Zoom. So mm -hmm. we do book launches now on Zoom. Oh, do you? Yeah, and you know, it's not great because you don't get that that personal experience. 
but you know it's, again it's something that we had to sort of adapt to can you do both though could you, could you yeah do... we can go back yeah hopefully we'll go back into more in-person events yeah yeah um, I think people are, st are slowly sort of coming out of it. Although this morning it was, my train was packed to the rafters. So it felt like it's almost normal. And that was at seven o'clock in the morning, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah, so everyone's so coming back to, to work. They just want to get back into being social, especially the young crowd. I mean, a lot of youngsters who started jobs in the middle of a lockdown and never met their colleagues. So, you know, that all their working was from home. That must have been Absolutely. so hard. Yeah, not having that rapport. Exactly, particularly at the start of your career and you're thinking, where is this going? Yeah. Yep. Although in the beginning I found working at home so productive that did when you? I did come into the office, I'd never got any work done because <laughs> we were too busy talking. Catching up. I know, and then, you know, I had to make sure that I, because I only work four days a week, I had to make sure that you know, I didn't come in on a Thursday because I couldn't catch up on the work that I didn't do. <laughs> so I try and come in now on Tuesday so I've got time. Yes. But we've kind of all settled down now. But I think, you know what, a lot of the conversations that you have, even if it seems to be non-work related, are still quite important. Yes. Yeah. Because sometimes conversations that become work are triggered of by just normal, what did you watch yesterday? Or yep. I just had this muffin, it's brilliant. By the way, did you do this yeah. this and this yeah, or yeah, yeah, have exactly. you thought about doing that with a muffin do some publicity <laughs> you know so you know things are triggered exactly by conversation and, well, and that's what was missed i think and the whole, because the whole the whole industry that you're in is creative on whatever side of the the fence you're, you're whether you're creating the book or there or you're creating the cover or you're trying to get it marketed it's all creativity isn't it and yeah you need people to bounce those ideas off i think and it's hard to have, like, we did, you know, weekly Zoom meetings, but it's, it's quite flat, yes. you know. I think it's fine if you're just doing updates, um, which was very important to have and to talk through scheduling and production issues, um, even acquisition. So we would, like, get given manuscripts and then we'd have, like, two weeks to read it and then we'll come back and yeah. give our thoughts of whether or not to, to go ahead. Yes, yes. Um, which is, is, is really, is really good because I never used to have that in my corporate mm -hmm. working environment. It was always the editorial team that had that decision making. Whereas yeah. now you've got, you know, I'm sales, you know, you've got the data manager, you've got publicity, mm -hmm. um, all having an input on whether or not this book is viable. Yeah. And I think it's important to have that 360 Definitely. viewpoint. Better, better reach yeah. different ideas and, and well, you're all coming at it from a very different angle, aren't you? Yeah. Reading a book and different tastes as well. Exactly. Our editor's really good because she will say stuff like, it's not my personal taste, but I can see it will do well for this market. And I yes. think it's very important to have that, to have that objectivity yes. when you're, when you're pur purchasing a, a manuscript because you need to be able to know that there are readers of certain genres out there, even if it doesn't fulfil yours. Yeah. So seeing that potential. Yes, no, definitely. Um, so yeah, we've come back. We've come back. So Lisa, I think that's a, a brilliant note to, to end our conversation. Yes, <laughs> it was lovely. It went really quick. It did go very quickly. <laughs> we had a lot to say, actually. <laughs> so thank you so much for, no for taking the time to be on the Cabin Tree Podcast. Pleasure. Um, if, if anybody listening to this wants to contact Legend Press or you yourself, mm -hmm. where should they contact? Uh, so if you just um, Google or type into search engine Legend Times or legendpress.co.uk mm -hmm. um, and then you'll get to our website and if you're interested in submitting books we've got the submission page so you just need to click on that bit 
or co there's a contact me as well so there's a contact with all the different people okay so yes any queries if you're interested in any books that we've yep. got it advertised there okay that's fantastic no well to all you um traveling through podcast listeners out there i hope you've enjoyed the podcast you've been inspired by our conversation i certainly have if you have enjoyed it please do subscribe to the traveling through podcast and if you'd like to leave us a review and or even a star rating that would be fantastic because it helps the podcast to go further and for our guests to get heard which is the important thing <laughs> next week we'll be back with another podcast but for now take care and thanks for listening Thank <laughs> you.